You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. And welcome to this special edition of the Strong Towns Podcast. We are veering away from our typical format and schedule to bring you a series of short interviews with Strong Towns contributors who wrote for our new book, Thoughts on Building Strong Towns, Volume 2. That's right, we just released a new book, and you can purchase it in paperback or ebook format on Amazon. Uh, just visit strongtowns.org slash publications to find the book and purchase. And the proceeds of each purchase go directly towards supporting the Strong Towns movement. Uh, our members should have received a link to a free copy of the ebook version already, so check your emails for that. So today I have with me Andrew Price, who wrote two essays that are included in this new book. Hi, Andrew. How's it going? Hi. Great. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So let's do a little check-in. You've been writing for Strong Towns for three plus years now. Yeah, seems um, like seems yeah. like a very long time. Um, it's hard you to remember my life stable. before I started writing for Strong Towns. So when you wrote this essay, it was more than a year ago, I think. Um, I'm guessing your life might have been a little different back then. What are you up to right now? Where are you living? What are you, what um, are you doing? Yes, yeah, so I live in Hoboken. Yeah, I work in New York City. I commute into Google every day. I'm a software engineer. So I write for Strong Towns once a month, and I'm really honored that you decided to publish my work in Thoughts on Building Strong Towns. Awesome. Uh, and speaking of Hoboken, I was uh, pretty worried about you as soon as I heard the news about that horrible train crash. Um, how are things there? Is, is all, are all of your friends okay? Uh, yeah, everybody I know is fine. Um, I don't know anyone personally affected by the crash. That morning, I was about to get onto a bus to go into New York, and someone comes up to me and says, you might be waiting a while because there's been a huge train crash because Hoboken Terminal is where all the buses depart. So next thing I knew, there were sirens everywhere, fire truck after fire truck down Washington Street. Um, yeah, so what happened was horrible, and I'm really proud of the region coming together and how quickly everyone responded. So it seems like it's going to be a while until the train station is back up and running, or are they already like operating transit out of there? They're operating transit out of there. The only thing they're not operating right now, I believe, is the regional New Jersey transit trains. Okay. They were predicting kind of like a transit chaos, but um, I think a lot of people were staying home because they thought it would be chaotic, that there weren't that many people out that my commute has so far been pretty smooth. So it kind of became a self-correcting problem. Okay, so back to the book. Your essay, um, you have two essays in here. One of them is granularity, and that has become a pretty big reference piece on our site and something that we continue to refer back to and um, generate a lot of discussion. So that seemed like a really good piece to feature in the book. Um, Tell me a little bit about that essay, if you can remember back to when you wrote it, and like, what was the inspiration for it? Yeah, the inspiration was that, especially in Hoboken, I'm seeing a lot of new development going up. And often these developments were in places where, say, the block was divided into maybe 40 individual lots with individual buildings. They might have been townhomes. They might have been mixed-use buildings with retail. And these whole blocks were being purchased and replaced with this really big, single, tall building. 
And I mean, these buildings aren't ugly buildings or anything. But I noticed that you would only see maybe like one or two shops along the entire block compared to the the traditional fine grain buildings where you would see maybe 20 shops along Mm -hmm. a single block. Of course, I wasn't very happy. I noticed that like there was a lot less street life around these new large developments. There was a lot more sterile and monolithic feeling. And so that was really the motivation behind writing about granularity because nobody was really talking about this stuff. Yeah, that's concept. I mean, I know you mentioned in the essay that that concept is present in other fields, but to bring it up in urban planning is pretty revolutionary. So that's awesome. And I remember something else that you mentioned in that essay, you know, besides the lack of street life and sometimes the buildings are uglier if they're like taking up a whole block, it also means that only one developer or owner is getting the money from that whole block instead of you know, yeah, like I have this fantasy owners. of one day perhaps building like a town home and owning my own property here. And the only way it's practical in a very dense city is if the individual lot you can own is very small, which in these traditional areas, you look at like Brooklyn, the typical neighborhood in Brooklyn, there are a lot of individual townhomes. And even though it's very expensive now because it's been gentrified, the basic format is actually very nice. You can fit a quite a lot of people in while people owning single family homes in the compact townhome format. And when these developers come in, they might build, say, 200 apartments or something, but they cover the entire thing in a single building. They no longer really have control over the land or the building itself. And then you also, to get this sort of development, you have to attract all this big money. And with the big money comes all the politics and all the lobbying that comes along with it. Compared to, say, if you were to divide a block into 40 lots and you could have middle-class people taking out mortgages to build townhomes and you could still end up with a very urban, dense environment. In this essay that's published in our book, we've got a lot of awesome photos, some taken by you and some from Google Maps, that really help to illustrate the concept of granular places versus these huge monolithic buildings and fine-grained versus coarse-grained urbanism. So that is an awesome piece. Uh, Everyone should check out the book so you can read it. Your other piece in Thoughts on Building Strong Towns, Volume 2, is called My Car Pays Cheaper Rent Than Me. And you wrote this as part of our annual Black Friday parking event, which is coming up in just about a month here. The essay is framed around a series of questions that I think you say that you want to ask your mayor. Questions like, who decides parking minimums? And why do we think we can act in a business's best interest better than that business by telling them that they have to have a certain amount of parking spots? Tell me about this essay, if you can think back to when you wrote it. Okay, so I always find parking minimums kind of crazy. Like, it's in a business's best interest to get customers into the store. So if they choose not to build parking and then it becomes chaotic that you can never get to that store, then it's kind of hurting them. Like, you will see parking lots and all that stuff without parking minimums. So it seems kind of crazy that we dictate how many spots these businesses should do. I mean, everybody now has a smartphone, but we don't go regulating things like how many charging stations every business needs to have and like silly things like that. So it seems weird that parking as a commodity is something we think is special and unique and different. So the New York City region, you probably know the rents are pretty expensive. And yet we we do things like you can get a on-street parking permit in Hoboken for about $15 a year. Which if, wow. <laughs> yeah, so I know it's crazy. It's totally under market rate for the amount of land you're like 
occupying your renting. Like、mm. if I could rent an apartment for that cheap, I could pretty much rent out the whole city. Yeah, I thought it was. It's interesting hearing this coming from you, who lives in a super dense, walkable, transit-oriented place.、Um, I think you quote in here that your mayor said something like, "95 percent of trips in Hoboken are taken by car." So. The fact that even your town has problems with parking minimums, it really says something that this is a huge problem all over the country. I think the conversation around parking is kind of skewed a little. When I've been to town hall meetings and people complain about parking, what they're complaining about is they have to make a delivery or they want to go in and quickly pick something up. They can never find a spot right in front of where they need to go. And so they're circling around. They're never talking about they want to park their car in front of a shop so they can spend an hour out of their vehicle. Yet I've also heard operators of these private parking garages say that they rarely see that they're rarely more than one third full. Wow! So you hear these contrasting stories, and it made me realize that what people really want, they seem to want, aren't really like long-term parking spaces. They really just want these short-term, pretty much loading bays to run in, quickly do their thing, and then come out. I don't know if you heard the story behind the Washington Street redesign. We were going to put bike lanes along Washington Street, our main street, and、mm-hmm. there was such huge opposition to it because everybody wanted the ability to double park, which is technically illegal. <laughs> and yeah. so, yeah, people do it because they're just going to run in quickly to do one thing, then come back out. So、yeah. I don't really think we have a parking shortage. I just think we have kind of like a this really short-term loading bay sort of style parking shortage. Yeah, this was a really good essay that kind of phrased and pointed out all the absurdities of parking minimum regulations. I think one thing you said in here was that I would like to see the data that states one parking space per 200 square feet of a skating rink is optimum to bring prosperity to the city. Which is just like, yeah, that's just such yeah, a good way. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> at my job at Google, we're very data-driven. Like data is king. You can't choose arbitrary numbers without having the evidence behind it. So when I see these tables provided that you need two parking spaces per like chair at some venue, like who comes up with these? It's pretty ridiculous.、Uh, Andrew, what have you written for Strong Towns website lately, or what do you have? Have anything coming up? Okay, this month I'm planning to post my Washington Street fantasy redesign. Oh, I've、awesome. been working on this for a while, but because I've been working full time and had had other stuff going on, I've had to keep pushing it back. But I finally had time, and I finished、um, I finished my simulation that I'll finally write a blog post this month about it. So basically,、cool. we had engineers come in and redesign Washington's Main Street, and we're going to spend tens of millions of dollars doing this. And the final plan they presented was basically the street we have now. They just have curb bump outs. That has some new、uh, street lighting, and they brought the traffic lights up to code, which I later found out meant they had pedestrian countdown timers. So these are incremental improvements, and they're good improvements. But there are a few things I disagreed with the engineers on. One of them was the traffic light timing, because Washington Street is so wide and traffic lights take a long time to cycle. People get frustrated, so they jaywalk when they see there are no cars coming, and it makes it dangerous. And the engineers they wanted to increase the timing. To improve the flow of traffic, but that will just re- result in longer cycles, and it seems counterintuitive because people are going to get more frustrated and more likely to jaywalk. So I started with this idea that what if we could eliminate traffic lights and instead focus on having slow but smooth-flowing traffic that was always safe to jaywalk. 
And so mm. I came up with a fantasy redesign of Washington Street and I made a simulator that mixes cars, buses, emergency vehicles and people together. So I'm excited that I'll finally get to publish this design and see what people's reactions are. And perhaps they won't like it, but I won't be offended because I had plenty of fun making it. <laughs> That's awesome. What uh, program did you use to design it? I used Unity, which is a game engine. It's like really, it. it's really powerful. I love it because there's an asset store and you go on the asset store because I'm not good at like 3D modeling or anything. I can just buy townhomes. I can buy mm -hmm. cars that look like, they, they look like the cars you'll see driving around. I can just buy a bunch of stuff, put it in and then focus on the coding, which I'm strong at and quickly get a prototype up and running. That sounds awesome. Well, I will be very interested to read that. Well, uh, Andrew, thanks for taking the time to talk with me today. Our new book, Thoughts on Building Strong Towns, Volume 2, is available now, and we highly encourage everyone to check it out. Thanks, everyone, and keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Take care, Andrew. Thank you, Rachel. Take care. We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org.